God of past, present, and future. We find ourselves eight days into a new year, a 365-day journey into the unknown. We might wish for an easy path, one on which the way forward is always clear, our footsteps always steady, our confidence in ourselves and our companions always sure, our sense of your presence always certain. But we know from the years behind us that life does not work that way. And so we gather today to pray, to sing, to listen, to speak, to bless, to find in words, music, silence, and companionship what we will need for the road ahead, whatever it may hold. May our time in this place and with these people help us to know when to wait and when to move forward, when to trust ourselves and when to seek counsel, when to act with haste and when to deliberate, when to continue in the same direction and when to find another road. Together, may we find, if not an easy way, a true one. At our house, um, we celebrated Christmas yesterday a little bit late because we couldn't quite get everybody's schedules to mesh. And normally after a meal, we gather everybody at the table and read the Christmas story, but it felt like we were a little bit late to be reading the Christmas story again yesterday. So instead, I read the story that we're going to read today from Matthew's gospel, the story of the Magi. And, you know, we have eight grandchildren, they were around the table, and I would pause every once in a while and just ask a question of the children. And every time, our little five-year-old's hand would immediately go up. And she knew all the answers. She goes to a Methodist preschool, I don't know, maybe the Methodist, you know, I don't know, but she, she, she knew the answers, and we're going to read this story again. I won't pause to ask you questions, but see how familiar you are with this story. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men 
and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I also may go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This book, Here and Now, Henry Nouwen describes an epiphany that he had on a busy intersection one day in downtown Toronto. He says, recently I was standing on the corner of Bloor and Young Streets in downtown Toronto. I saw a young man crossing the street while the stoplight turned red. He just missed being hit by a car. Meanwhile, hundreds of people were moving in all directions most faces looked quite tense and serious, and no one greeted anyone. They were all absorbed in their own thoughts, trying to reach some unknown goal. Long rows of cars and trucks were crossing the intersection, were making right and left turns in the midst of a large pedestrian crowd. I wondered, what is going on in the minds of all these people? What are they trying to do? What are they hoping for? What is pushing them? As I stood by that busy intersection, I wished I were able to overhear the inner ruminations of all these people. But I soon realized that I didn't have to be so curious. My own restlessness was probably not very different from that of all those around me. Why is it so difficult to be still and quiet and let God speak to me about the meaning of life? Is it because I don't trust God? Is it because I don't know God? Is it because I wonder if God is really there for me? Is it because I'm afraid of God? Is it because deep down I do not believe that God really cares what happens at the corner of Young and Bloor? Still, there is a voice right there in downtown Toronto. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Can I trust that voice and follow it? It's not a very loud voice, and often it is drowned out by the clamor of the inner city. Still, when I listen attentively, 
I will hear that voice again and again and come to recognize it as the voice speaking to the deepest places in my heart. An epiphany. Epiphany was January 6th, the day after the 12 days of Christmastide on the liturgical calendar. And since today is the closest Sunday to the 6th, today is Epiphany Sunday. Epiphany in theological terms refers to the appearance of the, or the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles as represented by the Magi, who were obviously not Jewish, but came to Bethlehem from the East. The word epiphany is commonly used to refer to a moment of sudden insight or revelation, an aha moment. We've all had moments like that, breakthrough moments when we suddenly see something clearly that we have perhaps never fully understood before. I've shared with you once that I had such an aha moment several years ago before my mom died. She was already beginning to experience some dementia and her memory was starting to fail, but she loved to start her day sitting at the kitchen table with a cup of coffee and the morning crossword puzzle. And she was confident. She would always do the crossword using a pen and never a pencil. When she would get stumped, she would occasionally ask for my help. And on this particular day, when she asked for me to help, she thought my suggestion was wrong. And so she refused to write it in with her pen. I wanted to argue with her because I was pretty sure of my answer. But my aha moment came in the realization that sometimes it is better to be kind and say nothing than to be right and argue. A little later, I didn't even feel the need to say, I told you so. I just wish that I were able to remember the better to be kind than right lesson in all of my subsequent interactions with people. I know that we've all had those aha moments, and I'm guessing that the Magi had an epiphany somewhere along the way as they followed the star. The Magi were learned men, probably from Persia, not kings, but likely astrologers, knowledgeable about the movements of the stars. I can just imagine how things might have gone when they first saw that star appear in the sky. We don't know exactly what the apparition was. Was it a once in a millennium alignment of several planets, like they say happened again recently? Or did Venus pass especially close and extraordinarily bright in the night sky? We don't know. But whatever it was, they had to follow it and find out. They were determined to go, even though they didn't know 
where they were going or how far they would have to travel. They just wanted to get closer to that star. And as it turned out, if they had, in fact, traveled from Persia, it was about a 900-mile journey. They didn't have time to go and set up a GoFundMe page, but maybe they did go back to the astrology club and see if anyone else wanted to join them. We always assume that there were three wise men because the story mentions three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the text doesn't tell us how many men there were, and it's likely that there were more than three who made the journey, if only for safety's sake. Some say there may have been as many as 12 wise men. Did the wise men know from the start that they were setting out on an expedition to look for a king? I tend to think not. They were astrologers, after all, excited about seeing an extraordinary, once-in-a-lifetime celestial event. But as they kept following the star, and as they got closer to Jerusalem, no doubt they heard speculation about a Jewish Messiah whose arrival was long awaited. Maybe that was their aha moment, their epiphany, connecting the star with the birth of this anticipated Messiah. By the way, if you prefer to stick to the version of events that we sing about, we three kings of Orient are, that's quite all right. Because whether there were three or 12 wise men is not the point of the story. And whether they were kings or learned astrologers is not the important part of the story either. It's not even critical to decide whether they knew from the start or learned along the way that they were going in search of a newborn king. What is important is that at some point, their journey to follow a star became a mission to find the Messiah. At some point, the star, as amazing and awe-inspiring as it had been for these astrologers, became secondary to their quest to discover a newborn baby who was said to be a king. And so they began asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? It's worth noting that the Greek verb for asking in this passage connotes that they were asking continually, not one time, but asking everyone around them, everywhere they went, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? They had had an epiphany and they could no longer contain their excitement about discovering the Messiah. They wanted to go and pay him homage, to bow down and worship him. 
Their repeated inquiries about the location of this king eventually caught the attention of King Herod. I can imagine that Herod was not happy. Here are these wise men, foreigners, going around asking where the king of the Jews had recently been born. Hello. Herod is currently the king of the Jews and of the Romans in Judea, Samaria, Galilee, and Perea. Of course, he's upset that these men are talking about a future king while he himself is still sitting on the throne. Herod apparently had not previously heard much about this new king, so he called together the chief priests and the scribes who were the recognized Jewish religious leaders. If anybody knew about this supposed king of the Jews, they would know. They did, in fact, know of the prophecy that said the ruler of the Israelites would come out of Bethlehem, and this they reported to Herod. It was then, and only then, that Herod summoned the wise men and sent them to Bethlehem in search of the child. The wise men traveled to Bethlehem and found Jesus with Joseph and Mary still in the manger or stable. Matthew records no conversation between the Magi and their unlikely hosts. What might have been said? The Magi may have told what it was that made them set out on their journey. Some conjunction of stars or planets, perhaps. And maybe they talked about their epiphany, their realization that the star they were following was somehow leading them to this very spot to worship the child king. Mary may have told of the angelic appearance that foretold the birth of Jesus. Maybe the shepherds talked about the angels who appeared to them as well, singing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill among men. But there was not yet any indication of Jesus' power to heal or of his redemptive mission. And there were as yet none of Jesus' teachings to follow. There wasn't a lot going on, really, as to why this particular child was so important. What the wise men saw then was both very simple and very profound. Here was a baby, heralded as an important king, and by Mary's story as the Messiah who would set his people free. But nevertheless, simply a baby. A baby like all babies, miraculous and beautiful. To them, he was a foreign child, a child from a different place, religion, and nationality. And in this child, somehow, all the glory of God was revealed. This moment was all about recognizing God's presence in the baby, who appeared so ordinary 
and unimportant, and yet was somehow God with us. Of course, once they found Jesus, they were told to report back to the king, but that never happened because the wise men were told in a dream not to go back to Herod. Dream or no dream, maybe the wise men were wise, wise enough to realize that Herod's motive was not to pay homage, but to destroy his presumed rival to the throne. It is striking that in our manger scenes, naturally, we find Joseph and Mary with the baby Jesus. There are animals, cows and oxen, and of course, sheep with the shepherds. Sometimes there are a few villagers in the scene, and certainly we cannot forget the wise men. But notably absent are the Jewish leaders, the chief priests and the scribes. They knew that their long-awaited Messiah was to come out of Bethlehem, yet they apparently didn't have any interest in walking the five or six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. They didn't have any interest in walking that short distance to worship and pay homage to their newborn king. Not everyone will follow where God wants them to go. It makes me wonder, would I be one of those willing to travel 900 miles to see Jesus? Or would I be too lazy or too preoccupied or too self-important to walk just a few miles down the road? Our sermon series during the Sundays of Epiphany, and this series will extend from now until Lent, 40 days before Easter, is entitled, Be Curious, Ask Questions, Don't Be Judgmental. The wise men exemplify this curious stance when they arrive in Jerusalem and begin asking the question, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? One aspect of being wise is learning to ask the right questions, not assuming that you have all the answers. This question, where is Jesus, remains an important question for us today. Mother Teresa said that when she looked into the faces of the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, she saw Jesus. Do we see him in our homeless guests at Room in the Inn or in the person to whom we hand a blessing bag on the street corner? Do we see him in the faces of a family seeking asylum in our country or in the faces of our Cuban friends in Carlos Rojas? Do we see Jesus in a child that we are tutoring or in a person we're visiting in the hospital or a nursing home? Do we see Jesus in one another and perhaps especially in the people whom we love 
the most. Where do you see Jesus?